Hi, I'm Chrissy. I'm Joss. And you're listening to Breaking the Curtain, the podcast where we interview our theater idols and chat all about the history behind your favorite musicals. So sit back, relax, and enjoy enjoy the episode. Mic check one, two. Hello, and welcome to Breaking the Curtain. If you've already read the title of this episode, then you know we are breaking down the history behind Almost Famous the Musical, from the real-life story behind the film to Broadway. Now, usually we like to wait a few years before doing a deep-dive show history on a musical, but because there has been some movement following the Broadway closure, we wanted to discuss the latest developments with what we know up until this point in the process. It's all happening at Almost Famous. <laughs> it sure is. You know, it's almost a year since we lost this beautiful show on Broadway. And I have to say, this is my favorite Tom Kitt score. And I, I adore all of his work, but this is just wow. He, he really locked into the essence of the 70s. Well, also making it feel like a Tom Kitt score all at the same time. It has the charm of the original scoring from the film, which blows my mind every time I listen to the cast recording. I don't know how he did it so, so well. I mean, he's Tom Kitt, that's how. (laughs) You know, we talk about this a lot, so I won't get too far into it, but Tom Kitt is really a musical genius. Like, he is a musical genius of our time. And I genuinely don't think that anyone else could have done with Almost Famous what he brought to it, you know? Yeah. And so perfectly paired with Cameron Crowe, who is equally oh, a yeah, genius like, in his own right. Together, they're such a fantastic songwriting team. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that Almost Famous is loosely based on a true story. Cameron Crowe's life, essentially. If you don't know who Cameron Crowe is, you'll most likely know the films he wrote and or directed, such as Say Anything, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Elizabethtown, Jerry Maguire, and of course, Almost Famous. Also, since we're on the topic, can we all just agree that Fast Times is so much better than The Breakfast Club? Breakfast Club was kind of my bread and butter for a while there. All right, all right. Your opinion, you're entitled to it. Cameron Crowe was raised in San Diego by his father, James, who sold residential real estate, and his mother, Alice Marie, who taught sociology and English literature at the local college. He was the youngest of three children with two sisters, one who passed away when he was young. Now, Alice heavily inspired the character of Elaine Miller, and much like within Almost Famous, Cameron skipped kindergarten and two grades in elementary school. It was obvious that he was younger than his fellow high school students. Alice always wanted Cameron to be a lawyer, but his obsession with rock music quickly took over. He began writing for the school newspaper and by the age of 13 was contributing rock reviews for an underground publication, The San Diego Door. He began corresponding with music journalist Lester Bangs, who had left the door to become an editor at the national rock magazine Cream. And soon Cameron was also submitting articles to Cream as well as Circus. After graduating at the age of 15, Cameron met Ben Fontorres, the editor of Rolling Stone, who hired him to write for the magazine. He also joined the team at Rolling Stone as a contributing editor and became an associate editor. He was the youngest ever contributor at Rolling Stone. Crowe interviewed Bob Dylan, David Bowie, Eric Clapton, The Eagles, Neil Young, Steely Dan, and members of Zeppelin, as well as so many more artists. His first cover story featured the Allman Brothers Band, where he went on the road with them for three weeks at the age of 16. Through the years with the magazine, he landed a lot of major interviews with rock stars such as Yes, Rod Stewart, Peter Frampton, Linda Ronstadt, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, 
Fleetwood Mac, and others. So that is just a very short glimpse into the life of Cameron Crowe. He later went on to write screenplays and work as a director, and that is where our subject of this episode comes in. Almost Famous follows William Miller, a 15-year-old aspiring rock journalist who is given the opportunity to write for Rolling Stone magazine by joining up-and-coming band Stillwater on tour for a few weeks. After convincing his strict mother and promising to be back by graduation, William joins the band on the road. On the way, he joins the band's inner circle and their band-aids, including the intriguing and mysterious Penny Lane. It's a coming-of-age story about music and its power to bring people together. Everybody's coming together. <laughs> How long have you been waiting to do that oh, one? Oh, <laughs> since the start of the episode. <laughs> As we know, the film is based on Cameron Crowe's real-life experience, loosely of course, of his time on the road with the Allman Brothers Band as a teenager. I'm sure events from many of his other adventures were pulled into this story as well. The film stars Patrick Fugit as William Miller, Kate Hudson as Penny Lane, Billy Crudup as Russell Hammond, and Francis McDormand as Elaine Miller. Now, Brad Pitt was originally cast in the role of Russell Hammond opposite Sarah Polley as Penny Lane. However, Crowe and Pitt agreed that Brad Pitt was not the right fit and he left the project to be replaced with Billy Crudup. Sarah Polly left the film due to work on another project. Kate Hudson, who had originally been cast as Anita Miller, ended up filling the role of Penny Lane. Of course, you hear a lot of well-known songs in the film, but in addition to some 70s favorites, the film features some original music for its fictional band. Some of these were written by Cameron Crowe and his ex-wife Nancy Wilson of Heart, and the others were written by Peter Frampton, who also served as a consultant on the film. Mm, Peter Frampton. That is the love of my life. <laughs> you have too many loves of your life. <laughs> yes, but especially Peter Frampton. Young Peter, old Peter. Just adore him. Now, one of my favorite things I learned about the filming process of Almost Famous was that Cameron Crowe's mother, Alice, would often visit him on set. And so Crowe had given her very strict instructions to stay away from Frances McDormand, who was playing Elaine. Elaine, of course, was based on Alice, and he didn't want spending time with Alice to affect Frances's portrayal. However, he left his mother alone on set one day and came back to find the two women having lunch, and they got on really well. Almost Famous premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2000, then had a limited release on September 15, 2000, followed by a wider release on September 22nd. The DVD version of the film also includes a bootleg cut, which features nearly 40 extra minutes. Which, that is the one I made you watch first. You remember that. We always watch the bootleg well, yeah, cut. yeah, because it's so much better. It's just, you get I everything. I can't remember the last time I watched not the bootleg cut. So from the get-go, Almost Famous felt like the perfect film-to-stage adaptation. You know, it had original music, a great storyline, and for many years, people spoke of the idea. But it was only in September of 2018 that it was finally all happening. A teaser was released through a video posted by Cameron Crowe of collaborator Tom Kitt playing a clip of what we now know as Everybody's Coming Together on Piano. The Old Globe announced on April 26, 2019 that Almost Famous would have its world premiere in the iconic San Diego Theater. A developmental lab took place in spring of 2019 where it was confirmed that Elton John's Tiny Dancer would be in the musical, which had been a question on everyone's minds since the initial announcement. Do you, uh, Jocelyn, remember where we were in New York City when the cast announcement was released? She's like, you know, I can't say I do. In my defense, 2019 
is a really long time ago. Yes. We had a whole fair. global pandemic in the middle there. We sure um, did. <laughs> but I do remember that we found out when we were in New York. I couldn't tell you where we were or what we were doing, um, but I do remember seeing We were the crossing cast list. a street. I can, I can remember we were near the Majestic Theater. Oh, yeah, because we were doing the very smart thing where we were on our phones while crossing the street. Of course. Dangerous. Do not do that. Don't do this at home. Not even if there is a cast announcement for Almost Famous being announced. Don't do it. Maybe that's why I don't remember it. Maybe you were reading it and I was trying to get us off the road. Probably. It sounds about right. That makes more sense, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't even know if I can share this. I'm sure it's okay. I'm sure it's fine. So we knew some of the cast members who were joining the show before the announcement was made. One in particular was Emily Schulteis, who messaged me that she was not going to be in the New York City, that she was not going to be in the New York City production of Bad Out of Hell because she was going to be joining the cast of Almost Famous taking place at the same time. So I obviously did not tell Jocelyn, but I did call her crying, telling her that Emily was going to be in, quote, the musical I've been waiting for. And she very clearly knew what that was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> she didn't tell me, but like, it was obvious. It was obvious. There are very few things. You mean E.T., the musical's coming to Broadway, <laughs> There are very finally? few things that Chrissy calls me crying about. And <laughs> it's usually an easy guess. <laughs> Almost famous is one of them. So on August 1st of the same year, the cast and crew were announced for the San Diego production. The cast included Casey Likes as William Miller, Solea Pfeiffer as Penny Lane, Colin Donnell as Russell Hammond, Drew Geeling as Jeff Beebe, Sam Gravity as Dennis Hope, Rob Coletti as Lister Bangs, Brandon Contreras as Silent Ed, Van Hughes, Matt Bittner, Chad Burris, Gerard Cananico, Julia Cassandra, Kitty Lander, Anika Larson, Storm Lever, Emily Schulteis, Daniel Sovich, Libby Winters, and Matthew C. Yee. The team was as followed, book and lyrics by Cameron Crowe, music and lyrics by Tom Kitt, direction by Jeremy Heron, scenic design by Derek McLean, costume design by David Sin, lighting design by Natasha Katz, sound design by Peter Holinsky, music direction by Brian Perry, vocal design by Anne-Marie Malazzo and Lauren Lattero as choreographer. The production opened on September 13th, 2019, and received really wonderful reviews. Many artists even attended the show at the Old Globe, including Joni Mitchell and Miss Penny Lane Trumbull herself, who was even photographed with Solea and Cameron at the show. The almost famous soundtrack is a big reason many people adore this film, so it only made sense to include some well-known hits from the era in the musical several of which made it to the stage, including Leonard Skinner's Simple Man, Led Zeppelin's Ramble On, Joni Mitchell's River, Cat Stevens' The Wind, and as previously mentioned, Elton John's famous Tiny Dancer, and a few more classics as well. Many reviewers positively said that it felt like an extended version of the beloved film, and had great things to say about the original score. The limited run closed on October 27, 2019, after receiving an extension. Almost Famous was on a steady track to Broadway, aiming for a debut in 2020. However, this did not happen due to the COVID-19 Broadway shutdown. And for the fans who were waiting, it seemed like the show might not happen after all because of the pandemic and the surge of shows either looking for a house or closing because people were just not ready yet to return to Broadway theaters and sit within a crowded audience. Now, in April of 2022, the official account for Almost Famous on Twitter posted a teaser hinting towards the Broadway run coming soon. 
And towards the end of May, I just so happened to be messing around online and something was just telling me to search almostfamousthemusical.com and I am so glad I did because there it was, the Broadway announcement right there on the website. On June 2nd, it was officially announced to the public that Almost Famous was moving into Broadway's Jacobs Theatre with previews beginning on September 13th with October 11th opening night. However, it would later be pushed to previews beginning October 3rd with a November 3rd opening. Cameron Crowe released a statement saying, quote, Broadway fans and rock fans have so much in common. We obsess over the music, we pour over every possible recording we find, and we treasure those moments when an artist stands on stage, opens their heart in that most personal way, and creates real magic. Suddenly, everything seems possible. Almost Famous has always been about the power of that connection. Hearing a piece of music for the first time, looking into a person's eyes and feeling the electricity, finding your tribe. The line, it's all happening, has always been so key to the show, and now that we're headed to Broadway, it's finally come true. It actually is all happening. End quote. Mm, Imagine that being makes so me feel cool. So good inside. <laughs> Imagine being so cool, like you can quote yourself and people know what you're quoting yourself from. Right? Oh, I just adore him. <laughs> He's fantastic. He's wonderful. The cast included a mix of returning and new members within the Broadway production, including Chris Wood as Russell, Anika Larson as Elaine Miller, Saleya Pfeiffer as Penny Lane, Drew Geeling as Jeff Beebe, Casey Likes as William Miller, and also featured in the company was Rob Coletti, Matt Bittner, Chad Burris, Gerard Canonico, Julia Cassandra, Brandon Contras, Jacob Hart, Van Hughes, Yana Janae Jackson, Kitty Lander, Danny Lindgren, Erica Mansfield, Elisa Melendez, Emily Schultes, Daniel Sovich, Libby Winters, and Matthew C. Yee. The show opened to mixed reviews from critics, mostly leaning towards the negative. It was a stark difference from the reviews from the San Diego run in 2019. There really weren't too many major changes made from the original run either. Although there is something that I've always wondered if it was the right decision. And really, it's so stupid. I think about it often, um, mostly because I really wanted a window card of it. <laughs> but when Almost Famous initially announced their Broadway run, they had this, this fresh, gorgeous new artwork, which was wildly different from the San Diego run. And they later reused it for Broadway. And this, this kind of reminds me of the opposite of the Bridges of Madison County, where they started off their run with a more grounded poster design, and then they swapped to this like luscious, romantic, eye-catching design. And I'm not sure why the new design for Almost Famous was scrapped. If anything, it felt more 70s with the font used in the new design. And basically, if you haven't seen it, it's like... It's an open road with Penny and William facing the back with like a purple hue because the show's aura is purple, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and really, it wasn't exactly flashy either, so I'm not entirely sure why they changed it to the notebook paper with Cameron's writing. I feel like that was a bit of a hit to the production, mainly because the Broadway artwork that they went with originally was just so eye-catching. So if anyone in the cast knows, I literally, I need to know for my sanity. I wonder if it changed just because I think part of it is the way that it was set up. I think people may have interpreted it as like it being a romantic thing between Penny and William. I don't know, because to me it read more like these two on the run. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but also like you're very familiar with the show, right? Like we'd be like, oh I yeah, that's, yeah. That's, Penny and, that's Penny and William, you know? But... Maybe somebody who isn't might 
I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if they felt like maybe like the flashy artwork was selling out a little bit from like the show that is so raw. I don't know. But I would love to know. So like I said, please, any cast members, let us know if you know why the marketing team changed it, because I really love that poster. So beautiful. Unfortunately, the show saw a dip in both grosses and capacity. The Broadway production closed on January 8th, 2023, after playing 30 previews and 77 performances. A cast recording was later released on April 21st after being pushed from March of earlier that year. Almost Famous received a Tony nomination for Best Score at the 2023 Tony Awards. Later in the year, Almost Famous headed back into the workshop development. The public readings of the workshop took place on November 11th, November 15th, and November 18th at the O'Neill's Rufus and Margot Rose Barn Theatre. Leading the cast were Brayden Bambino as William Miller, Lola Tung as Penny Lane, Alex Moniello as Russell, Anika Larson as Elaine Miller, and Rob Coletti as Lester Bangs. There were a lot of changes, really excellent changes. Elaine's song, He Knows Too Little, was added back into the show, and... Rather than the iconic plane scene playing out almost identical to the film version like we saw on Broadway, there is now a song in its place. My personal favorite scene is now changed, and originally I was devastated by this news, but the idea of a new original song has totally grown on me. So, the Cat Stevens song The Wind that was sung in the show by Penny is now replaced by an original song which I believe is called The Spirits Are Still Here. What was originally a song within the moment now appears to be a song about the moment. And from my interpretation of what I've been told and heard, Penny sings about all of the great musicians and songs that have played within the venue Stillwater is playing at for that tour stop. So it's very reminiscent of the iconic scene in the movie where Penny is skating on the sticky beer floor at the concert venue while the wind plays. Another great thing is that Anything's Possible, which is a bonus track on the cast album, is now back in the show. The ending of the show is also slightly different. We have the gorgeous reprise of Everybody's Coming Together. But there is now like an element of where are they now type of moment where they share that, you know, like Lester has died and there's a line about Penny Lane and great music finding you. This is all coming from things that I've like seen online and discussions had. So please take everything with a grain of salt. But it seems Penny does not go to Morocco in this version at the end. At least there isn't a line at the end of the show where she books her ticket to leave, from my understanding, at least. So that alone, paired with the line about how Penny Lane and great music will always find you when you're ready, makes Penny Lane in Morocco feel much more like a mindset, like a legendary tale of this epic woman. And I, I think I really like that a lot. So we both did not see the workshop, only short clips online, but the casting looks like they were all so incredible, especially from all the feedback online and how people who did attend really enjoyed their interpretations of the roles. So I'm hoping this means we'll get a tour really soon with this epic new version of the show. I also, I have to give a special shout out to the folks listening who had these discussions with us about the changes or who wrote reviews about the workshops, made TikToks, wrote about it on public forums. It helped so much when putting this together. The Almost Family is absolutely incredible. You know, the show may have closed early, but the fans are so dedicated and supportive of the show. And there's such a lovely little community where we all keep each other posted about all things Almost Famous. Mm, yeah. I genuinely love this musical so much. And 
that's not just because I'm a massive fan of the movie. I actually, I feel like if I thought it was bad, I'd be the first to say it because of how much I respect the film, Cameron Crowe and the characters, that if it was like, just not well done, I'd say that I didn't like it, but I genuinely, I genuinely loved it so much. Oh, 100%. I think being a hardcore fan of the movie would only make you more critical of any Mm -hmm. adaptation. But truly, this show is just so well suited to the stage. And definitely, it's because of how integral music and connection are to the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the original Broadway cast, because they were all so exceptional. I have to talk about Casey Lakes. Uh, Hi, Casey, if you are listening to us. Hi, Casey. (laughs) Hello. Um, I still can't believe this was Casey's Broadway debut, considering how much, in my opinion, William makes or breaks the show in terms of storytelling. You know, it's Mm -hmm. his journey. It's Cameron Crowe's story. And Casey managed to keep that same like awkwardness and sweetness that we loved with Patrick's original interpretation in the film, but yet also managed to make the role completely his own. I know you and I both hoped that he would have been recognized for a Tony Award, but that's all right. His performance won within our hearts. So that is all that matters. In our heart forever. And of course, we have to talk about Celia, who captured that that cool essence of Penny Lane with that underlying heartbreak that devastates us all in the audience. Her scene in the New York City bar wrecked me. You could feel how important that scene was for the character, and Soleil delivered it with such honesty and devastation. Being a fan of the film, I just assumed that it would play out similar to the film where Penny just, you know, like she just walks out. But when Soleil started shouting about how, you know, they're all supposed to be her family. Oh, man, that was so powerful. That was so powerful. So powerful. She was just so Penny Lane. She had that grounded cool. We must discuss Anika's performance as Elaine Miller. Like, Oh, we have to. Gosh. We have to. I love Elaine. I think she's such an interesting character. And in the movie, she's always been one of my favorites. And what Anika brings to this role, she's truly perfect. One of my favorite moments in the show is listen to me when she's lecturing Russell over the phone. She's perfectly intense. And it's linked so tightly with the love of her son. And the songs really just take that to a whole other level. Anika had the whole Broadway theater literally in the palm of her hand while singing Elaine's lecture. And oh, she's just, she's so masterful as a performer. Like her comedic timing is great because Elaine has so many funny things. But I feel like I even forget a lot of those because the emotional work she was doing as like a mom with this kid who is growing up and maybe doing things she doesn't agree with was, oh, it was just so powerful. Mm. Also Tony Award worthy. Still disappointed, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, awards do not matter. She will always be mom. AF. AF. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of AF, Drew Geeling is Jeff BB AF. Movie Jeff is so unlikable to me, and that's true to the character. But Thanks to the musical, he's now one of my favorites. Get me a t-shirt. I just, he has this brilliant comedic timing, but it isn't over the top in the sense that like, Drew just has this fantastic level of charisma. Speaking of the t-shirt, 
Did you know in San Diego they actually sold a version of the t-shirt as merch? No, I didn't. I would have I would have loved that. Me too. I don't know why that wasn't like on Broadway for merch. I think so many people would have bought one. I mean, that wig had to be had to be documented and preserved. Now, if we're talking about Tony Award nominations that we were upset almost famous didn't get, that wig deserved all the nominations. Why isn't the wig in the Museum of Broadway. Oh. I know Brandon's mustache is. It is. It is. The wig should be in the Museum of Broadway. Speaking of members of the band Stillwater, I, I effing loved Chris Wood as Russell. Now, to be honest, I didn't know much about him before seeing the show. I did know that he and Melissa uh, Benoist got married. But more than that, I just didn't know much about him uh like his career and i have to say i was not prepared for the level of fandom that followed after we both posted our photos from the stage door with him i mean there was fan sites posting us everywhere everywhere i was like why is my face on this person's twitter and instagram and then i was like oh my god because he's massive and we just like did not realize just how big of a celebrity he is I also want to take a minute to say that people will spread awful, unnecessary hate having never seen the person they're talking about online in the show simply because, you know, like maybe they played a role in the past that they didn't like or whatever reason. It's still not a valid reason to spew hate on social media. I think that's disgusting. But Chris was absolutely wonderful. And I loved his take on Russell. He played it beautifully. I'm really hoping we get to see more of him on Broadway. He's a great actor, has a great voice. It's so beautiful, which let's be real, when watching the movie, you don't really think of Russell as a character in a musical, but Chris did a wonderful job bringing the role to a Broadway stage. I 100% agree. Like, And he's a nice person. Very nice. He was so nice. Oh, he's fantastic. He's just super chill vibe. You know, I'm going to, I said it about Jeff Beebe. I'm going to say it again about Russell. Like, in the movie, like, they're fantastically well-written characters, but, like, they're Mm. not great people, you know? But Chris brought this, I don't know, he brought this sort of vulnerability to Russell that really Mm -hmm. made me kind of let him in to kind of, like, hear his part of the story more. Like, his delivery was just very sincere, and I really liked, I really, really liked him in this role because it's a character that usually I'm like, oh my god, you're talking, stop. Yeah, no, I totally get it, yeah. Yeah, I think sincere is the right word. Yeah, I really liked what he did with it. I liked what adding the music did to Russell's character as well. (laughs) Now, you didn't think we were going to wrap up this portion without talking about the incredible Rob Coletti, did you? Look, I'll just, I'll come out and say it. Nobody else could have played that role on Broadway except for Rob, which I imagine must have been a different task compared to the rest of his castmates because Lester was a real person. So there's an added level of staying true to the real person while keeping the movie fans happy because everyone thinks of Philip Seymour Hoffman in the role and then also making it his own, which he did so wonderfully. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. You know, in the Broadway iteration of the show, as much as it's William's story, Lester Bangs is really 
helping him tell it, right? So oh, he's absolutely. like the first person you see. He's one of the last people you see. And Rob is just such a showman. Like he invites you on that journey with him the minute he steps on stage. It's fantastic. Mm. Now, Chrissy. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song from the musical? Sure do. My favorite song is Stick Around. <laughs> but I also really do love um, Everybody's Coming Together. Both of those sound straight out of the 70s. I would ask what's yours, but I feel like I don't even have to ask because you've been so open on the podcast about your favorite song from this show. So I'll, I'll just let you Literally, I never shut up about it because... My favorite song from the show is 1973, and it is one of the best opening numbers I have heard from a new musical in a long time. I think writing a great opening number is a lost art. Like, those opening numbers that introduce everyone and set the scene and leave you hungry for more. You know, it does all of that, but it's also really authentic, and it actually progresses the plot within it as well. And it's hard to find an opening number these days that does all of that at once Mm. and you know it makes you feel right from that very first song like William starts singing and he's telling you his story and automatically you are on his side you are rooting for him you know if you haven't seen the movie you don't even know what he's going to encounter or what he's going to do but you're cheering him on and I just think it's so great you know it has all the things I would want in an opening number and I mean Obviously, it's Tom Kitt. I've said it before. I will say it probably a million times again. The man is a musical genius. And I'm so glad that when it came to Tony nominations, at least the score was nominated because mm. this score is lush and it's smart and it's intricate and beautiful. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I have to say kind of as like my runners up to 1973, I really like Lost in New York. Mm, of um, course. and pretty much anything Elaine sings like she had yeah. some great numbers on Broadway she also had a song that was cut and then brought back that's beautiful too um, yeah I think there's just so much good stuff you know we're talking about the songs and it's so awful to think that many people like whittled this show down to being a jukebox musical not that there is anything against jukebox musicals we love them so much but it's the not. fact that it's not one, <laughs> like you're going to take, what, two songs out of the score that are like non-originals and, and slash the whole original score? Otherwise, uh, it's just also, ridiculous like, to me. Joni Mitchell has never let River be used in anything for Broadway, but she was oh. OK with it being used in this. So you know what? Because she just gets saying. it. Joni Mitchell gets she it. She gets it, man. Joni gets it. And that's all that you need to think about. That's if you're going to disagree with Joni Mitchell, that's on you, man. That's on you. That's, I wouldn't want to be around your bad karma. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> really, it is, it's crazy to think that it's almost a year since the show closed. Like, it was, it was genuinely one of the best nights of my life. Not just at a theater. Like, one of the best nights of my life. And I genuinely had been waiting years for a musical adaptation and getting to see you know that that movie that I love so much come to life from the front row of the Jacobs Theater <gasps> wait okay so there is a photo of us that was taken from the pit cam which you can see us in the audience because <laughs> we were in the front row and I think that is the funniest thing ever what 
a rare memory to have. Now we have this photo of us from the pit cam <laughs> at Almost Famous. I, I love it. It's so funny. And, you know, we had planned this trip for months. We had bought all of our tickets in advance. And then we saw Almost Famous and we were like, damn it, we should be going to see Almost Famous again. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the ticket price for the front row was like significantly cheaper, too. Um we would have liked to see it from the front again. Obviously, that's probably the only way we could have seen it again was because it was much cheaper in the front row. But besides that, besides the money, you just get like the full concert vibe from that seat. It was actually like so crazy. You know, it was actually my first time being front row at a Broadway show. Was it really? Yeah. And this was great because it feels like both musical and rock concert. Mm. And then there's this moment of like tiny dancer starts and it's the iconic scene in the movie and it's reimagined so beautifully for the stage and we were so close it really felt like we were on Doris too and the entire theater just melted away I will never forget like a the level of goosebumps but b like the pure joy that brought me it was like on another level it was like I was on another level i don't know how to say this without it sounding like super weird but like that music started and that number started and i felt like i was like outside of my body yeah and i i don't think i've ever had that experience with any other show oh my god why am i tearing up right now i'm just still i'm still so devastated that it's closed you know but really everything was closing prematurely on broadway and that was absolutely a result of people just not yet being ready to go to a crowded theater. At least that's what I think, mm-hmm. especially during the slow season on Broadway. Um, you know, I really did think when we planned our trip to see the show again in March, which we did like immediately after coming back home, we were like, oh, let's let's go again. Um, stupidly, because like in this economy, no, I really did think it still would have been open. But it closed, like, less than two weeks following the announcement that was made. It was, like, such a fast turnaround, and neither of us, like, traveling in January due to storms. And, you know, we were also totally broke from doing New York City in December. Yeah, no, it was, like, stupid idea. It's magical. never do it. But I'm still recovering financially. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I did hear, I read that. Cameron Crowe mentioned London being a possibility or maybe back to New York. So let's just put out good vibes into the universe that this beautiful show will once again be shared with audiences. So there you have it. Our long awaited, almost famous show history episode. Did you get to see the show on Broadway or San Diego? Let us know in the comments on Instagram at Breaking the Curtain. We would love to hear your thoughts. Yes, and if you haven't seen the show live, you can tell us your favorite song from the cast recording. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and you will hear from us in our next episode. Hold me closer, tiny dancer. I have to go. (laughs) 